from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It's Wednesday, and it's my pleasure to be with you. Welcome to the program. If you want to join our late-night national town hall, feel free to do so. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that is Valdez with an S, just like on social media, at Rich Valdez, where you can uh, chime in and give us your thoughts on our discussions this evening. Now, a couple of headlines I want to go over over with you. We've got an IRS whistleblower alleging a cover-up of Hunter Biden's tax evasion case. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Uh, We've also got Biden's approval rating falling to yet another record low or near a record low. And it seems like that happens pretty often. Uh, Sadly, you know, I mean, again, I don't wish Biden ill will. I I want him to be successful. I was just telling somebody the other day, I really wish that I could wake up tomorrow and and hear Joe Biden give a speech where he says, and you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lower tax rates so that we could increase tax receipts. Come on, man. You know, I got hairy legs. And, and say something like that where, you know, we're, we're going to make sure that Americans are working and we're making money. And I would love to see him really boost the economy. I'd love that. Instead of spending money, how about everybody making some money? But I know that's not going to happen, right? We're never going to hear Joe Biden say that we're going to unleash American energy independence. We're going to produce more fossil fuel than anybody else on the planet. And we're going to reach our full potential in doing so, kind of like we started to do in the Trump administration. Instead, he wants us to be dependent on foreign sources of energy uh, that puts us beholden to them in many different ways, like when he went hat in hand to Saudi Arabia. But that's a different story for another day. Uh, Now, the border crisis is also continuing. Uh, It seems to be getting worse. We're going to discuss that a little bit later. Plus, it's the 80th anniversary of the Holocaust uh, just yesterday. So we are going to um, get into a little conversation on that. Plus, you know, the famous scent, new car scent. uh, There's a toxicologist out there that says that this may be causing cancer. Fascinating, right? Yeah, we're going to get to that as well. Uh, And there's plenty of other headlines I'm going to get to. But one that I want to get to in particular is... Uh, regarding my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, AOC, all out crazy herself, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And good old AOC, she's upset that uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams uh, has offered a raise to uh, NYPD, the police department in New York City, and uh, saying that, you know, this is obviously going against any type of defunding safety that she might have uh, been supportive of. And uh, I'm sure she doesn't like that we're not defunding the police and that giving them a raise is clearly problematic for her. Listen to this. We're here in New York City, um, and you're talking about funding um uh, violence prevention outside of uh, the police. Mm-hmm. And yet Eric Adams has just increased police wages by 28%. Mm-hmm. Is that misplaced? I, I think so. We are now at a point where officially most officers are paid more 
than a teacher with a master's degree serving these same kids involved in these same incidents. We are defunding safety, defunding our public schools, defunding our public pools, defunding our parks, defunding our libraries, when we are taking all of those resources and demanding that every single department except the militarized one be cut, we are sending a message about who and what we care about. All right. Now, obviously, when she talks about militarized departments, she's talking about the police department, the NYPD, saying that they are militarized. Now, of course, uh, I just take exception to this line of thinking. I think that it's uh, personally it's, it's just that's misplaced. That type of thinking, I believe, is misplaced because I don't believe. Uh, first of all, again, I haven't seen uh, public pools being defunded in New York. I haven't seen lots of things. As a matter of fact, when Mayor de Blasio, again, because Mayor Adams has only been there for, I think, a year, if that, or maybe a little more, um, bef- prior to that, it was uh, Mayor de Blasio. And de Blasio was famous for introducing uh, these social workers to help uh, stop violence called violence interrupters. Yep. Violence interrupters. And the idea was that when you have these bad people with guns uh, or like the people that went in there to that bodega we talked about a couple of days ago where they were going to, you know, kill this guy, Jose Alba or any of these other people. I mean, violent crime is, is a real thing in New York City and many major cities. And the idea that you're going to stop violent crime, major violent crime from occurring by someone saying, listen, listen, take it easy. Go ahead, Ocon, take it easy. Calm down. Right. This is not a big deal. Relax. A violence interrupter using a social work approach. This isn't going to work. It's not going to work. And you've got to be on some special kind of crack that you're smoking if you think it is going to work. But that's where we are. Right. That's where this fundamental disconnect between so many Democrats and Republicans exists. And I hate to make it about a political thing because, you know, it used to be it wasn't on party lines, but it is. And lamentably, it seems that those that are embracing the pro-crime progressive politics that we see on the left are the same people that that embrace all the rest of these crazy ideas. And that's why I think it's pretty cool that uh, my uh, former colleague, my friend, uh, the founder of the Guardian Angel Safety Patrol Group in New York City, is a broadcaster on talk radio in New York City, Curtis Sliwa. Uh, he's calling for moderates to unite with Republicans after AOC has uh, called Astoria, Queens, the People's Republic, AOC, all out crazy, uh, reportedly joined uh, with um, a group of Democrat socialists or the DSA, Democrat Socialists of America, at a recent event in Queens, calling that neighborhood, the Astoria neighborhood in Queens, the People's Republic. Now, uh, Curtis Lewa, the founder of the Guardian Angels, he slammed Congresswoman AOC after she labeled a trendy community, Astoria, it's a working class area, the People's Republic, uh, Sliwa told Hannity last night on the Fox News channel that it would be a signal for moderate Democrats to unite with Republicans to replace socialists and left wingers from elected office. After the congresswoman utilized the title used by communist China, <laughs> while joined by Democrat socialist uh, Senator Kristen Gonzalez, um, as well as uh, Zoran Madami and others, here's what uh, the quote is. Well, the way you fight it, Sean, is you have to go at AOC and the socialists who hide behind being Democrats. That's Sliwa. 
And ultimately, they, uh, the, the message is, Slee was saying that they've got to be like Ronald Reagan and have that crossover appeal in order to reach the middle, in order to reach those that say, look, I'm a Democrat, but I don't support defunding the police and, and taking these radical left-wing positions. So we shall see how that pans out. I think Curtis Lee was doing a great job. I actually spoke at one of their uh, events. I think it might have been their inaugural event uh, last month, the Ronald Reagan Republican Club in Queens in Astoria. And uh, it was a real honor and a pleasure. And it was a very enthused group of people. So shout out to them. And we're going to see what happens in New York because there's definitely a uh, movement and some traction amongst those folks in New York. Uh, Plus, what's going on with the IRS? Are they meddling to protect Hunter Biden? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that uh, with uh, Congressman Andy Ogles. And he's with the House Financial Services Committee. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and uh, our guest, Congressman Andy Ogles, Republican from Tennessee's 5th District. Congressman, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. I'm looking forward to speaking with you, too. Lots to cover. So uh, let's let's dig right in. Now, I know you're on the Financial Services Committee, and I know there's been some talk uh, about uh, potentially uh, how folks in the IRS might be covering up Hunter Biden's um, the investigation into Hunter Biden. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, when you look at financial services, the banking industry, uh, the investment industry, crypto, I mean, there's so much that we can unpack there. But you know, whether it's the IRS or the FBI, what we've seen is that that these agencies under this administration have been weaponized against the American people. And so, you know, one of the things that we fought for in the speaker's race was the church style committee that uh, which is a historic reference to post-World War II committee. But 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 it allows Congress to investigate rogue agencies. And so clearly we were we were thinking of the FBI and how it was weaponized them, uh, you know, against the American people. But now you have this whistleblower, this whistleblower that's coming out and saying, oh, and by the way, we've tried to pursue this case against, against Hunter Biden and that we, we've been obfuscated uh, by the Justice Department, by the IRS. And so it, it, it's troubling, um, but I think it's par for the course. I think it's symptomatic of a, of a greater problem that we have in this country where the leftist and the, the radical Biden administration has infant, you know, infiltrated agencies and then weaponized them against the American people. And so, you know, as you look at this Congress and what we're fighting for and you look forward to the 2024 election, this is a historic moment. And, and of course, this moment spans two to three years. This is a historic moment for the United States of America to say, do we write this ship? Or do we continue down this destructive path, which which is literally going to lead to the end of America as we know it? You know, it's so sad to hear uh, you know a sitting member of Congress talk about the end of America as we know it. And I think so many Americans are fearful of that 
exact point. I think so many of us, you know, whether it's they hear it on talk radio, they see it on television, they go to work, they their lives and they're feeling like, you know, this isn't quite what it was. And I mean, I'm talking about people that I speak with on a regular basis that are apolitical, not even listeners to the show, but people that are just living life and trying to go buy a car, for example, saying things that, you know, it's, it costs as much to buy an old, uh, a used car as it costs to buy a new car. There's a shortage on cars. I mean, there's so many things I'd never heard of in my life happening in America. And at not the least of which is this weaponization of government, the, the, um, the, I guess, selective um, justice that we have, if you can call it justice at all, where, you know, those that are in the ruling class are treated one way and everybody else is treated another way. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm grateful for the majority that we have in the House, which you're a part of. uh, But how much stock can we put in that, Congressman? Well, I mean, we're out here, we're fighting and, and, you know, and kudos to uh, Speaker McCarthy for pushing back against the White House for bringing together what you might call the we're called the five families of Congress, the different factions within Republican Party. But but let's take let's take rhetoric out for a moment. Let's say, you know, everything that you've said or everything I've said in the last couple of minutes is rhetoric. Right. Let's take let's peel that away and let's look at where we are as a country and our debt. So we're over 30 trillion dollars in debt, which is a historic, mm-hmm. astronomical number. And if you look at Biden's budget, according to the Congressional Budget Office, which isn't the most conservative agency in government, uh, it's going to add another 20 trillion. This is unfathomable. I mean, currently right now today, the average household, you know, their share of America's debt is two hundred and thirty nine thousand dollars. Ten years from now, that's almost going to double. That, that that's more than the medium home here in the United States of America. I mean, we've hit this point financially that it's unsustainable. That's why that's one of the reasons why you see Russia on the move. That's one of the reasons why you see China, you know, bowing up and being much more aggressive under this administration. And, and look, you can like or dislike Donald Trump, but you didn't see this behavior out of China with Trump or under Trump's administration. You didn't see this behavior under uh, Trump's administration when it comes to Russia. So it matters who leads. And we have an inept president who is who is staring a radical agenda that's literally designed to make us subservient to Europe and our enemies, which are Russia, China and the Middle East. And 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 again, some of this sounds crazy and conspiracy theorists. But when you start looking at the facts, you're like. It's only conspiracy theory until you have the facts to prove it's true. And like we've crossed that bridge. We have the data. We have the budgets. We have the projections. And we know that this this administration is trying to fundamentally change the United States of America. You know, I grew up in a time in this this country where we were closer to Mayberry. Now we're at, we're at the mm-hmm. far, furthest spectrum from that where it's, it's you know, the pan, Pandora's box has been opened. Right. Yes, sadly. Folks, we're on with Congressman Andy Ogles, Republican from Tennessee's 5th District. And I I, want to agree with you. I I think I give a a good amount of credit to um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy because he's he's been out there pretty much keeping his word on a lot of things. And a lot of people say, well, that's just empty rhetoric because he knows it'll never pass in the House. We do have to start somewhere. I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm a fan of the work that McCarthy is doing, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for it because I think we, we need to – if we don't push in that direction, we're not going anywhere. And uh, w- with respect to what's going on, I think Biden's plans 
the um, you know whatever whatever plan he's putting out, they're they're all huge tax and spend plans where he tries to make it seem like it's a huge plus for Americans, but ultimately <laughs> it's always a detriment to Americans. So what are what are you guys uh, honing in on in financial services to um, kind of check Biden? Well, going back to your comment about, you know, Biden's plans are destructive for America. So, sure. you know, kind of e- economics 101, econ 101, if, if the government puts more money into the economy than the economy can produce on its own. So like by way of a stimulus package, I mean, I think we've had multiple stimulus packages over the years, you know, uh, they're, they're for targeted reasons. But during COVID, we did, it wasn't a small stimulus package. It was trillions of dollars. And so, again, going back to the idea, if the government puts in more money than the economy can produce, the backside of that is going to be inflation. That's a very simple equation. One plus one equals two. And so as you look at, okay, where we were, COVID began and where we are, you would expect that with the trillions of dollars that were put into the economy, you're going to have inflation. You're going to have recessionary pressures. But that in and of itself is going to create supply chain issues. All of these things are predictable. The only question is, is the scale and the the degree and the timetable. So those are variables, right? And so what does he do? He has the Inflation Reduction Act. And what is that? Mm. It pumps more money from the government into the economy. It is the exact opposite of what you should do under these circumstances. So again, by the you know, they they have this bill that seems, you know, uh, like that's it, it, in the best interest of the United States. It's benign. And in reality, it is literally the opposite thing that you would do. So you go to the doctor, you have an illness, he, pres- he prescribes a prescription that's going to heal you. Well, this doctor, i.e. Biden, has prescribed something that's going to do the exact opposite. And so, again, you know, I don't know if he's inept, uh, stupid. Or if he's a villain and, and like you're like, we're, we're waking up to some really bad screenplay. I mean, again, you can't script this out and think of, uh, I mean, you know, the Hunter Biden and the laptop and the prostitutes and the, the methamphetamines and, and all the other stuff. And it's like, this is just a really bad made for TV movie. And it's like, oh, wow, this is uh, the political landscape today in America. And meanwhile, the FBI, the FBI and the IRS are culpable in these conversations. And it's, you know, the world is upside down. Uh, that's why I ran for Congress. Outstanding. Well, we're going to continue that conversation. Folks, we're on with Congressman Andy Ogles from Tennessee. And Biden's poll numbers are sinking. Plus, you've got hearings on ESG and Silicon Valley. So we're going to talk about that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Andy Ogles is with us, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
America, this is Night. This is Rich Valdez. For decades, they've said that the best way to grow the economy is from a top-down, trickle-down economics. Well, growing up, I didn't see a whole hell of a lot trickle down in our three-bedroom house with four kids and my dad's kitchen table. You know what? Trickle down didn't work for us, and it didn't work for a long time. And by the way, it's not just what's been the MAGA Republicans. For the last three, four decades, we've been losing ground. And, you know, we've, and it's hollowed out the middle class. You know, rewarding wealth, not work. Rewarding companies moving overseas because they get cheaper labor. Cheap labor. And this is this is definitely one one of the things that I think uh, fuels the the problems at the border. But with respect to what President Biden's saying, uh, it seems like a record number of Americans are very pessimistic about the economy because everybody's afraid of a recession. And this is according to a poll. I'm looking at an article in the Epic Times. This new poll has found that most Americans believe the United States is headed for a recession or is already in an economic downturn. Now, this uh, poll is a CNBC All-America Economic Survey. 69% of U.S. adults have negative views about the current economic collapse, uh, excuse me, landscape. Uh, forgive me. And this is the highest figure since the survey began 17 years ago. Congressman Andy Ogles from Tennessee, what say you? Oh, I, I, t- I totally agree. Uh, and I think we are headed towards uh, recession. And even if we're not technically in a recession, when you look at the cost of your commodities or those household goods, uh, the American people are paying more. We're paying more for fuel. We're paying more for eggs. We're paying more for milk. Those, those hit hardworking Americans. You know, I come from a working class family. And so when the price of meat, eggs and milk changes, and a house full of four boys, that had a direct impact on, on our budget and our lifestyle. And so I think that's what Americans are feeling. You don't have to be an economist to know that your your budget's tighter or that things that you, you go to the grocery store and it's just more expensive. And this is a disconnect between this administration. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is to, you know, one of the many agencies, you know, uh, charged with protecting the markets and investments and stocks. One of the things they're supposed to do, in, in addition to protecting the economy, is capital formation. And that sounds very scientific and all, but at the end of the day, it's about empowering American businesses and empowering the American people. And so you, you have Gensler, the, the chair, He's got this climate rule, this this climate disclosure rule that he's come out with. Mm-hmm. And the, the the agency's own analysis says that this this rule will cost businesses or banks uh, or, 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 or uh, you know, hedge funds, stock funds, et cetera, two and a half times more to report. And so and then you look back historically, when you look at their cost estimates of their own regulations, they underestimate. So we know that this regulation is going to be almost a threefold burden, whether it's a small bank or a large bank or a small investment firm or a large investment firm. You know who pays for that? The American people. Mm-hmm. So if you're a teacher and you have a retirement fund and you're you're kicking money to your 401k or your 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 investment vehicle, you pay for that. Whether you're a big investor and you've got lots of money, you pay for that. And so the disconnect between Biden. And what's really happening on the street is, is again, is in plain view. 
You don't have to listen to rhetoric. All you have to do is look at the math and realize that whether it's intentional or unintentional, this administration is harming the economy, is harming the American people, and harming families like mine. You know, I was the first first kid in our, our, our family to go to college. Like, I, I scratched my way through school. You know, we emerged out of the kind of the lower middle class to become the typical middle class family because of hard work. And so I don't want to hear this bull crap about Biden not, not making it when, when they're worth millions and millions of dollars and he's got multiple homes and his son's gallivanting all over the world in private jets. Like, they're doing just fine. Meanwhile, yeah. uh, teachers, cops, and uh, you know, first responders are paying more for milk and eggs at the grocery store. Yeah, hundred percent. And since you mentioned that, uh, what what was it, what was your upbringing like? Are, are you a, a native of of Nashville area? I am. You know, I grew up in Middle Tennessee. You know, my uh, grandfather was a uh, police officer with the Metro Police Department. Uh, he retired and became a foreman in a factory. You know, my dad worked uh, in the HVAC business. Uh, you know, he graduated from high school but had no further education. So, you know, we're Middle Tennessee natives, uh, one of the few, by the way, because Nashville is a destination for most of America, as is Florida. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we work for a living. At 13 years old, I started a, a grass-cutting business. At, you know, 15 and a half, I got a, a job at a pizza place uh, washing dishes. I mean, like, that that was expected of me as a young man if I wanted to have extra money. And that's that's a disconnect and something that's been lost on this generation, primarily because of all the government handouts and this everybody gets a trophy mentality that's kind of swept America right now. Yeah. You know, um, a couple of nights ago, we had uh, John Rich on. He's talked about mm-hmm. a bar that he has called the Redneck Riviera. You been there? <laughs> I have not been to his bar, but John Rich is a <laughs> friend of mine. He's hilarious. He's a true American patriot. And what I love about John, he's to that point in his career where he doesn't have to care anymore. And so he just he <laughs> has no filter. And I absolutely love uh, John Rich and who he is today. And the fact that, I mean, you just if he starts talking and he's fired up, pop some popcorn because you're ready for some entertainment. Right. So. Yeah. And we, we're talking a little bit about politics. Uh, what's your take on uh, this whole Bud Light controversy? Do you think it's a flash in the pan or is it America really saying enough is enough and we're done with this woke business? Well, um, to be determined, um, you know, full disclosure, I did, again, John Richards and our friends, I did text him to see if he wanted to like, uh, you know, uh, destroy some Bud Light cans just as to have some fun. (laughs) Um, I don't know if we're actually going to schedule it, but, uh, you know, again, to be determined, but, you know, I, again, I think this this is part of the problem. I mean, we go back to the SEC and Gary Gendler and his ESG, DEI, woke agenda, where they, they're, they're forcing all these companies these woke rules. And so now you have a company like Bud Light who, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their stockholders. So you have Anheuser-Busch mm-hmm. and Bev, right? If you, if you bought that stock, their job is to make beer, make beverage, make a good product to sell it and increase the value of their company. That's their mission statement, right? And so, but instead what their focus has become is all of this other stuff that gets in in the way of their mission statement, which is to create, I mean, let's be honest, they're they're supposed to create beer. And so, so now they're they're partnering with this guy, gal, it, she person, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and just forcing that on our children and American people and I've had enough. 
you know, I can't speak for John Rich, but I'm, I dare say John Rich and Kid Rock and many other people like him have had enough. Like, just go make beer and shut up. That, that's your job. <laughs> if you're an athlete, go play sports, go do it well, and then shut up. Like, that's it. And, and, and this idea that so, suddenly Disney is going to go, well, well, then screw Disney. You know what? Yeah. I'm, I won't take our kids to Disney. I don't care. I don't need it. There's enough things in this world. There's enough distractions in this world. I don't need Disney World anymore. And so if they want to go woke, go broke then. That's the message. That seems to be the message. Go woke, go broke. Uh, everybody, we're on with uh, Congressman Andy Ogles from Tennessee's 5th District. That's the district where the uh, shooting was at the Covenant School. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his thoughts on securing schools and how to protect children and the attack on Christianity that we saw there uh, when we come back. If you have any questions and you want to give a call, ask the congressman a question, feel free. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our guest, Congressman Andy Ogles from Tennessee's 5th District. Uh, Congressman, uh, you represent the district where the um, school in Nashville was, the Covenant School um, what's your take on, on securing schools, protecting the lives of these children and overall the, the attack on Christianity, which I believe was ignored by many that commented on this story? Yeah. I mean, we could, we could spend a whole hour just on this conversation. Um, you know, like where do you begin? I mean, so I mean I think this this episode that this this tragedy that that unfolded is the product of a society that is pandering to a woke radical left and is uh, now allowing mental illness to masquerade itself as a gender and 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 you know and I'll be criticized for saying that but truth is truth and. So you have someone who was mentally unstable. They have a history of being uh, unstable. They're being treated by a psychiatrist. Uh, they have to shoot their way into a school. It's a Christian school. Um, and, and you have to pause for a moment. So in, in this tragedy, you had the radical left try to make the, the shooter, who's a, a domestic terrorist, out to be a victim. Well, she wasn't a victim, and she was a she, not a he. Uh, they, they were a murderer. And that's it. End of story. Hard stop. And th then they tried to talk about, well, this is this is point case in point about taking guns away. No, it's not. It's about mental illness. What is the root cause of this problem? If someone is incredibly dis disturbed, who did a heinous act, and they targeted children. I mean, first of all, who who, who picks up a gun and just shoots someone in cold blood? Nine people in cold blood. But children, you look some right. a child in the face and you just shoot them. 
Like, no, this is not acceptable. No, the shooter is not a victim. The shooter is a murderer, and I hope they burn in hell for it. And forgive me for saying that, but it's the truth. And so what we have to do is wake up, America. We're under attack. If you're a Christian, we are under attack. And so to the practical question of how do we protect our children in these schools to get this onslaught of transgenderism and all the else that's going on in our culture right now is we all know that, that government wastes money. In particular, we know that the Department of Education wastes a lot of money. And if we were to simply to take that waste and take the money that they are spending on their woke agenda and their critical race theory and all the other woke, wokeness that is in the schools right now, we could push those dollars. So we, we don't have to spend more money. We just better allocate the resources that we have. And we have more counselors and trained psychiatrists or psychologists in schools to address these children who are vulnerable. And look, there's, there's lots of kids who could use some counseling. Maybe it's bullying. Maybe it's a broken home. Maybe it's financial issues or divorce or, or abuse, or maybe it's just down-to-earth mental illness. But if we, can, if we can address and intersect those issues while they're youth versus letting it manifest itself into a psychosis the way this shooter did, then maybe we can save lives. But the idea that you're going to take my guns, you know what, it's in the Constitution. I was criticized because there's a picture floating around with me and my family were holding guns. There's a picture floating around with me holding one of our children as an infant with a toy gun. And, oh, look, he's a, he's a crazy radical. No, I just love the Constitution of America and the Second Amendment's in the Constitution. And if you don't like it, too bad, you know. And so, um, but unfortunately, what was lost in this conversation was the victims and the pain that was inflicted on our community and the fact that this shooter was really crying out for help and they didn't get it. And I, and I feel for the shooter's family because they're victims in this as well. But look, we, we, we can't try to condone this type of behavior. And not everybody in America is going to get a trophy. And we got to get back to that. If you want a trophy, go work hard. But the idea that it's okay to shoot into a crowd, to, to get into a vehicle and drive into a crowd, to be on a subway platform and push someone off, that's now the norm in America. And we have to stand up and say enough is enough. Well said, sir. I couldn't add anything to that. I, I think you're, you're spot on in your analysis. And, and we as Americans need to wake up, whether it's you with the work you're doing in Congress, we that we're doing on the air, everybody that's out there on the ground every day doing what they do. Everybody's got to do their part. Otherwise, uh, the country falls by the wayside. I want to thank you for being with us tonight and let everybody know how they could follow you and keep up to speed with the great work that you're doing in Congress. Well, you know, uh, Andy Ogles, you can go to Twitter or Facebook or andyogles.com. And, and I want to thank you. You know, I mean, you know, we have these voices out there that are fighting for freedom, that are telling the truth. And that's important because the majority of the corporate media out there is working against Americans, the hardworking Americans. So thank you for having me on and thank you for all that you do. Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you. And I hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. You bet. 
All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue the conversation with your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ. Plus, we're going to get into uh, the 80th anniversary of the Holocaust. Uh, Look at that with a historian. Plus, what is up with new car scent? Is that actually causing cancer? I hope not, because I happen to love new car scent. (laughs) But we're going to talk about that as well. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez uh, taking your calls on all the topics that we're discussing tonight. 866-505-4626 is the legacy line. And, of course, 8334-VALDEZ is open. Ethan in Akron, Ohio, W-N-I-R. Ethan, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Good evening. I have a little bit of a controversial opinion. Uh, Is you okay with those? Um, I Love those. that religion is not a band-aid for community strife. I believe that religion causes a lot more tension in communities, especially when there are multiple religions in communities that are close-knit. Because then you start seeing, oh, this person is part of that group or that group, rather than we're all just one human being together. And what, what are you basing this on? Is this just sheer opinion, or are you looking at, like, historical data over the years where there's been more harm caused than good? Um, I, do not, I do not have the opinion that religion caused for more harm than good. I believe that it creates more division in thinking than it is necessary in times of crisis. Now, is division in thinking a bad thing or a good thing in your opinion? Um, in times of peace, it is a great thing. In times of crisis, it is a very bad thing. Because then you have alienation of communities who uh, have one opinion on how to deal with a crisis and communities who have different opinions. Well, give me an example. Uh, we'll do the uh, Tennessee shooting. You have people who are very supportive of the offender community that was affected when in reality you should be more supportive of the community that is effective than the offender because the moment the offender chooses to take an innocent life they no longer become innocent sure so you're saying but but i'm not i'm just not following you're saying this are you comparing the the transgender movement as a religion i'm comparing it as a group of thought which is in general a religion yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, in, in that sense, I mean, I guess you could say that, 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 that makes sense there. I just don't see how, if we compare trend, the transgender movement to Christianity, uh, I don't know that transgenderism is, is causing, um, any great good as opposed to Christianity over the years. But an interesting conversation, and I thank you for your thoughts. The music means they're kicking both of us out of here. But we'll be right back. Straight ahead, we're going to talk about the 80th anniversary of the Holocaust with Dan McMillan. Your calls and more, 833-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It is Tuesday night. Our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Whether you're calling from the East Coast or the West Coast, you're welcome to join our late-night National Town Hall Forum. And a couple of quick headlines. Uh, there's a data privacy settlement on Facebook where... Their Meta is now being asked to pay out $725 million. Um, a lot of people are trying to cash in on that. It's going to be like a, uh, excuse me, a class action suit where everybody's probably going to get like 5 or $10. But um, interesting to say the least. Uh, plus, the Pentagon has released some f- video footage of unidentified flying objects that are um, in this video that the Pentagon has released and uh, people are wondering, what are these things? And we might discuss that a little bit later. Um, not saying that they're like, you know, alien type of flying saucers. It's just they're not sure what these are, if they're like unmanned drones or whatnot, uh, which is pretty interesting. Crime continues to ravage so many American cities. And a man lost it on a Southwest flight over a baby that was crying and his entire meltdown was caught on camera. I will forward you the article with the video attached to it so you could see that. I'll put it out on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media so you could check that out. Plus, this year, this November, would be the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass. And um, the... Warsaw Ghetto Warsaw Ghetto Uprising um, just yesterday it was the 80th anniversary of that. And I want to get with an expert that uh, literally wrote the book on this. It's called How Could This Happen? Explaining the Holocaust. Dr. Dan McMillan is the author of that, and he's our guest. Dan McMillan, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rich. It's good to be with you. Likewise, thank you very much for being with us. I appreciate it when anybody stays up, and especially on important topics like this where we hear about it, but we didn't all write the book on it. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, and um, let's talk about how this um, leads into the grander story of uh, of the Holocaust. Well, the you know, the, the, the Jewish population of the Warsaw Ghetto... Uh, most of them, about 300,000, had been murdered in 1942. They were all deported to Treblinka and murdered with poison gas, you know, over a 60-day period in the summer of 1942. There were still about 50,000 Jewish people living in the ghetto in April of of 43. Um, a group of different Jewish self-defense organizations had managed to buy some firearms from the Communist Party, and on April 19th, the, the Germans came in with the intention of clearing the ghetto and just murdering everyone else there, shipping everyone else off to death camps. And they met with fierce resistance. Uh, 
And it took the Germans a full, almost four weeks to suppress the rising, the last, I guess, resistance. And the last, you know, fighters were murdered uh, on May 16th. Um, even though, I mean, they had, they had no heavy weapons. I and mean, we're talking about people fighting with pistols and, you know, maybe only a handful of machine guns. It's, I mean, they never had a chance, but, you know, they were, they were making a statement. They went down fighting and, uh, you know, the, their courage was just extraordinary. In the book, you write about how hatred and hysteria collide, leading to a horrific genocide that forever changed the world. And um, an understatement, it is not. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how the book unfolds, how you explain the Holocaust. Well, you know, Rich, I think that that you can can group the, the causes of the Holocaust into sort of two categories. One is sort of the very long chain of events that helps to explain why Germans were the killers, why Jews were the victims, how the German political system evolved and the politics of anti-Semitism in Germany, the rise of Hitler, and so on. And that's usually what most people talk about. The problem is that to really absorb that story, you kind of almost need to read the book. And people get drowned in the details. And I think that I've, after, you know, I've been trying to, I've been figuring, I've been working for decades on figuring out how to somehow convey this in, in a, a form that people can absorb in conversation. I think the, the second group of causes, you know, go to the heart, I think, of what is most important, what I most want people to understand about the Holocaust. And that is that this happened because the people who did this saw no reason to not do it, because you know, for because of some circumstances that came together in this one place and one time, the ruling class of one of the most advanced societies decided that human life has no intrinsic value whatsoever. And if we could go back in time and ask these these killers, why are you doing this? Uh, I'm confident that most of them would shrug their shoulders and say to us, why not? They're just people. And so I kind of like to focus discussion on that because I think that's really what I want people to take away from this because it's this uncompromising assault on the value of your life, my life, everyone's life that I think makes the Holocaust the Holocaust, that, that makes it the only historical event that frightens people and, and thus the only historical event that, that people are kind of willing to deny. I mean, they're... There are no French Revolution denialists or American Civil War denialists, but Holocaust denial is a worldwide phenomenon. And I think there are certain factors that came together again to rob human life of all value. But I haven't let you get a word in edgewise. Let me just step back and see if you have some comments or thoughts. <laughs> That's very generous. I try to, to take the approach of allowing you to really uh, tell your story. But uh, okay. it sounds like you're, you're describing what is a real brazen lack of humanity. And, and I mean, that's putting it mildly, I think. Um, where, what's the genesis of such a, a, a lack of, of compassion towards human life? And it's not just lack of compassion. It's, it's really a complete indifference. You know, for these killers, mass murder you know, inspired emotion no more powerful than the disgust that we might feel from stepping on a cockroach. And it's, it's really, and I think there's sort of three factors that came together in time, uh, as kind of perfect storm. One is, one is the, 
the slaughter uh, of 10 million young men, including 2 million Germans, uh, in the First World War. Uh, you know, there were only 66 million people in Germany, all told. If you, if you scale those losses up to a country our size today, imagine that we just came off a war where we lost 10 million killed in action, not to speak of the wounded. And that that cheapened human life, it lowered the threshold for violence, it made the killing of millions of people seem like just an unremarkable fact of politics. And then added to that was that at that time, people looked at humanity and the human race in a very different way that is true today. I mean, today, for all our prejudices, we do understand that there really is ultimately only one human race, and we all belong to it. But in that time, you had uh, the triumph, really, the hegemony of social Darwinist racism, which was this oversimplified, ultimately bankrupt, but that you know, application of Darwin's theory of evolution through natural selection to human society. And this was this was really the way that not just Germans, but uh, educated elites in our country and every country in the Western world looked at humanity, and there was this belief that every nationality, say Germans or Irish, Jewish, Polish, and so on, was kind of a race unto itself with a distinct genetic signature that each of these so-called races had evolved more or less, greater or lesser distances from the apes, and in different ways, and you know, had these sort of ingrained, inborn characteristics. And, for example, our immigration law of 1924 was designed to cut off further immigration from the so-called bad parts of Europe, from Eastern and Southern Europe, you know, people who are like Polish or Italians or Greeks and so on, who were thought to be uh, polluting our gene pool because these people were thought to be less than the old Anglo-Saxon stock. And... Um, so this opened the door to the idea that some branches of humanity, some so-called races, were of little value or no value. And then specifically in the case of the Jews, the, the Jews were thought to um, have these kind of be hardwired for parasitic and destructive behavior. And the only way to control them or to deal with the problem they posed was to eliminate them. And then finally, as if those two factors were not enough, you had the the Nazi political system was a political system unique in history. There's been nothing seen it like it before or since. It was a political system where the legitimacy of the government, the source of power, was really entirely derived from a a, a widespread fantasy, a belief in the magical qualities of Adolf Hitler, the belief that he was somehow uh, a superhuman genius, or even someone who was an instrument of divine providence. And uh, that came about because he had a long string of successes that were mostly due to luck rather than to his talent. And then also he had this brilliant propagandist, Joseph Goebbels, who who polished his image. And the, the upshot of this was that um, Hitler became effectively the source of law and morality in Germany. Nothing he did by definition, could be deemed immoral, and thus everyone who acted on his orders had a kind of moral free pass. Um, and there's, there's even really kind of a sense among these men, one can almost say that, you know, it's sort of we're godlike. You know, we, 
we dispose of our life and death. Uh, no one has any say about what we do. We are beyond judgment. You know, we operate in a norm-free space. And so you have sort of the perfect storm of these three factors, and I think that's what um, creates the situation where, again, you know, we ask them, why are you doing this? Why not? They're just people. And the Jews, um, the Holocaust of the Jewish people is distinctive because they're the only only, uh, large ethnic group targeted for complete biological extinction. I mean, the Germans saw them as a virus, you know, and you want to stamp Mm. it out everywhere if you can so it'll never grow back. Um, Yeah, you had something you wanted to say or... No, I was just saying it, it's just fascinating to see how, you know, this was a, a huge part of history. And in many ways, it's been repeated many times as if we didn't learn a lesson from it, not to the extent of of the carnage that we saw in the Holocaust, but mm-hmm. that philosophical um, underpinning of just viewing people as less than and subhuman uh, to just dehumanize them is uh, it continues throughout modern uh, modern day, in my opinion. And it, it's, it's a prevalent problem nonetheless. I want to invite our listeners to call and pick your brain uh, should they want to. 833-482-5337 is our phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're on with Dr. Dan McMillan. Uh, he's a historian and he's the author of How Could This Happen? Explaining the Holocaust. Check out his book. I'd say get two copies, one for yourself, one that you could give away. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, to the phones we go, we've got Ann in La Crosse, Wisconsin, W-I-Z-M. Ann, welcome. You're on with Dr. Dan McMillan and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for your guest, um, I would be interested to find out what he had to say that Hitler himself was ha- well, his father was Jewish. His mother was a housemaid. And then Joseph, Joseph Mengele, the, the neurotic doctor at the, in these concentration camps, along with his assistant. Um, I don't ever hear people point out that this uh, um, Joseph Mengele, who committed all these atrocities on the prisoners, drilled holes in their head, um, did things to their eyes, pulled their hearts out to see how long it would take for them to die. He was so also tortured. Jewish. He, oh, well, and thank he was you, Anne. Jewish also. Yep. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's give Dr. McMillan a chance to weigh in on that. Doc, go right ahead. Yes. So thank you for your question, Anne. The, the uh, claim that, that Adolf Hitler had a, a Jewish grandparent is very widespread, uh, however, you know, his, his leading biographer, Ian Kershaw, who wrote what I think really is probably going to be the definitive biographer, biography of Hitler, 
uh, says that there's no evidence of this being so. Also, it seems highly unlikely, given that there were almost no Jews living in the part of Austria where his family comes from. Mengele is just the most dramatic example of something that was generally quite horrifying. That is to say, the willingness of the German medical profession as a whole to participate either in genocide and the murder of the Jews or in the so-called euthanasia program between uh, starting in 1939 of murdering Germans who had disabilities. Um, and altogether, I think that, you know, I guess the final point I make about the doctors is that, you know, people often express surprise that highly educated people can participate um, in this genocide. And certain, the fact is that the Holocaust was perpetrated, uh, a lot of the leading perpetrators really were intellectuals and people with doctoral degrees. Um, I actually don't see a, per, a contradiction there. I think advanced formal education doesn't necessarily make you a nice person. And sometimes <laughs> it can lead to the, it can lead to the illusion that you're more valuable than other people. It can actually encourage you to become a bad person. So um, anyway, that's kind of a long response to Anne's question. And I thank her for them. Thank you, Anne. Uh, now, Doc, um, with um, with about a minute and a half to go, let's uh, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book and how they could follow the the work that you're doing. Well, the the book is is best available on Amazon. It's available on Audible, I think, on Kindle, and also hardcover. Uh, the work I'm currently doing, I lead a nonpartisan effort to get big money out of American politics. Uh, the website URL is savedemocracyinamerica.org, savedemocracyinamerica.org. There's information about my biography in the book on that website and also interviews about uh, a reform that I'm, I'm promoting that I think can help get big money out of politics and put the American people back in the driver's seat. It's a little far afield from the Holocaust, but it is about humane values at the end of the day. All right. Well, Doc, I appreciate it. Dr. Dan McMillan, author of How Could This Happen? Explaining the Holocaust. I want to thank you for being with us tonight and uh, walking us through this uh, painful part of history, but doing it so eloquently. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much, Rich. Yes, sir. God bless you. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead with your calls and more. Plus, we're going to talk with a toxicologist, uh, Christine Padovan, about what about new car scent actually might be causing cancer. Uh, that and more when we return. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We're just getting started, folks. Don't go anywhere. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join our conversation. And that new car smell could be bringing the risk of cancer, according to a new study. Uh, the study, let's see where it was, um, Cell Reports Physical Science, that's the uh, the publication, found something besides uh, the, the happiness that goes along with uh smelling the new car scent. And this uh, 
also from a team in the Beijing Institute of Technology, where there's a bunch of researchers that found this as well, that these uh, VOCs, <clears throat> volatile organic compounds, uh, are potentially silent but deadly. And this is something that uh, I, I just didn't know was a thing, right, when it came to new car scent. And I said, oh, my gosh, let's uh, let's find an expert on this. And we have one. Christine Padovan is a toxicologist here to help us make sense of all this. Christine Padovan, welcome. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. I'm happy that you're here uh, because if there's one thing I love about a, a new car is how it smells. And the fact that new car scent might be bringing the risk of cancer was, I mean, not only just, you know, um, disconcerting, but um, it's kind of crazy that, you know, a scent could be harmful. Tell us how that works. Well, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, our, our noses kind of fool us in a sense when we're smelling something and we think, oh, there's a sweet smell. And you think, oh, that's that must be nice because it smells good. It kind of fools your, your brain into thinking, oh, I, I want to breathe in more of this. But it's actually, it's, it's not. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of, of what you think it is. And long-term, like say for long-term, when we say long-term, a year or more of breathing that in, they started to notice that over time that people would develop, you know, down the road, uh, things like leukemia and uh, other cancers that affect the nose and throat and uh, lung area and um, started testing, you know, looking at vinyl chloride and um, trichlorobenzene and formaldehyde and those chemicals that make that new car smell and found out, well, you know what, they're actually kind of toxic. And how is it that actually happening? What is it about this this scent that makes it toxic or what in it does that? Well, your body starts to get a bit of a, a reaction. I'm going to say it's almost like it's an allergic reaction and then starts to, not that we're noticing it, but your body inside is starting to get inflamed uh, from constantly breathing that in. And some people look at that as, oh, I just had this headache uh, from having been in the car too long. They think, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to be worried about. And it actually is because that's your body telling you, okay, it's, breathe, it's getting something in it that it knows it shouldn't be getting. And it needs to, it wants it to get out of it. But now you've got something that's kind of stuck in you, which needs help getting out if you don't, know that it's hurting you. Yeah. Now, what what's, I guess, your advice to, to people that uh, should we be concerned? Should there be a warning label on those little trees that we like to hang in our car that smell like new car scent? Well, they're, they're starting to look at that, too, and that air fresheners as well have this kind of issue. And the best thing to do when you have a new car it's got that very strong new car smell, we'll just call it that, odor in it. Uh, you want to air it out, number one, as you're driving, which is hard to do in the winter. So, you know, we can't keep our windows open all the time. Activated charcoal 
And they sell it now in bags. Uh, I actually provide a link, but we actually put a little video on our Rumble channel on rumble.com. And people can look that up through um, the Paladina, if they, if they look that up on there. And we talk about chemical fires and we talk about uh, the toxicity out there in the air. Activated charcoal will start to absorb those fumes and odors from those chemicals being admitted from, from the material. And that's a really good way to protect the body, pr- protect you and your pets who are traveling with you in the car, anyone. And those activated charcoal bags are great because they can last up to two years wow. and protect you. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing that we tell people to do is that there's a great company called Valara that makes NASA-inspired technology, and they have car adapters that help to neutralize the fumes and odors from chemicals as well. And that's another protectant. We, we work with uh, one of the reps at Valara to you know, give people a, a price break on their products because of all this stuff happening now that people are aware that these toxins can cause illnesses and diseases down the road. Wow. Well, straight ahead, I want to get into a little bit of your personal story of how you got involved in in this um, study of toxicology uh, as we return. Folks, we're on with Christine Padavan and our phone number if you want to join the conversation or have a question related to the toxicity of new car scent or anything else related to um, toxicology uh, with Christine Padavan. You're welcome to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Christine Padavan. Uh, she's a expert in heavy metal poisoning, a toxicologist, and uh, I want to get into her story of, of how she got involved in this world. Christine Padavan, how did that happen? Well, um, it happened by being intentionally poisoned. Um, I was intentionally poisoned with a concoction of heavy metals, um, arsenic, barium, thallium, which is illegal in the U.S., wow. titanium, vanadium, a bunch of others. Um, over a long period of time, it was like over a three-year period, and, um, and what they do to get, to get away with the crime in creating artificial allergies and illnesses and getting a cutback from the doctors and pharmacists that are taking care of you is to hide it from view with nanotechnology so that if you took like a regular uh, doctor test like LabCorp or Quest Diagnostics, it would show nothing. And uh, I'm a pretty sci-fi, you know, science geek type of person. I always want to know root cause. So I used, and I knew a crime was happening. So I used forensic, full forensic modalities, which burns away the nano and shows you the whole kitchen sink of what is in you. And that's how I, I figured out exactly how they were creating these 
you know, conditions of ulcerated colitis, similar to uncontrollable diarrhea that you see all those pharmaceutical ads for, you know, for how to control your UC or IBS symptoms. Now, was the poisoning that you experienced um, the the intention of a single person that was coming after you per se, or was this like a blanketed thing where you were part of a group of victims? Um, this actually was someone that had come into my, uh, well now ex-husband's uh, circle. Um, she was a, a former heroin and drug addict um, and her parents were former and current nurses. So she had gained this knowledge and then she was uh, using other people to, you know, continue her dirty work. So it wasn't just me that was being targeted. It was other family and friends as well. And um, and that's how I figured out they had kind of a network scheme going on. Um, So, yeah, I mean, of course, it involved police cases and FBI and stuff like that. And it's um, I can't tell say too much about it because it's still kind of ongoing, ongoing case. Sure. Wow. Well, very fascinating. Tell me uh, about how you're able to help people now, having been through that. Uh, how have you been able to help people or is it a goal of yours to help others? Yeah, actually, uh, I've been doing this for, I'd say for the last couple of years when actually once I got out of that and recovered and, and had, uh, you know, figured all of this out, I've been actually putting together uh, to create Paladina International to be a global teaching service because I saw how many medical doctors, they don't have, they don't have recent up-to-date toxicology education. Uh, law enforcement doesn't either. Um, when you're When you're talking to small town cops, when you talk about poisoning, um, they really don't understand it. And especially now with nanotech, hiding it in regular testing, it's very imperative to bring this information out to the masses so that if they understand, if they have a symptom that could be, uh, you know, a headache out of the blue, uh, blurry vision, nausea, and uh, diarrhea, nerve issues, all that, it can be from toxicity. Now, not necessarily intentional, but there's a lot out there that I'm seeing. That's why it's imperative people understand, especially with these chemical fires, derailment spills and all that, uh, toxicity can come from anywhere. Right. And um, tell us about Paladina International. So the company was first created years ago when I was in the uh, voiceover and acting business, and it still encompasses uh, my my narration work and uh, voiceover work as well. But um, basically now it, it is for a resource for anything to do with health and wellness, but spe- specializing in toxicity, toxicity education how to safely detoxify and reverse all these symptoms and illnesses and diseases, because most doctors will think, uh, you know, we'll just throw a medication at the symptom. But if you actually do the testing, which is what we're teaching, to forensically test and reveal the root cause, you actually can help the person detoxify and reverse everything. And, and 
we can actually make everyone, uh, including animals, um, better just by detoxifying them. Fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense. Folks, our guest is Christine Padavan. She's a toxicology expert uh, with Paladina International, and we're going to be getting to your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. Our guest is Christine Padavan. She's the founder of HeavyMetalPoisonCenter.com. Uh, let's go to Sue in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Go right ahead, Sue. You're on with Christine Padavan and Rich Valdez. Hi. I'm, I'm fascinated by this topic. You know, I've always wondered, um, you know, the idea of smells at all, like if you smell paint or food or whatever it is, uh, first of all, my one question would be, uh, when you're smelling something, you're actually getting particulate of that thing into your nasal passages is what I've always assumed or I've always read. And my other question has to do with, you know, like, say, not just for new cars, but if you get, like, new carpet in your house or, you know, there's outgassing that takes place from some of these synthetic materials and also dyes in clothing and in, in uh you know, medicines and things like that. And I wondered, too, whether or not as a person gets older, whether their response to these uh, toxic elements is greater or less. Thank you, Sue. Christine? Yes, that's a great question, Sue. Um, Basically, we do get more resistant as adults. Similar to collagen, the glutathione level this was found in, in toxicology in, in recent years. The glutathione level in our bodies also slows down in production. And that's what gives us protection from, from toxins and viruses out there. So we actually found, and this is what, what saved my life, is that glutathione, if you take it as a, as a daily supplement, those toxins that we breathe in, and as you're talking about, like particles, we're, we're, we are actually finding that more. There's more tiny particles that are, are getting stuck in the air from, from pollution, just from regular air pollution. Of course, now we've got so much more going on with these, with these uh, spills and, and chemical fires. So you're right to be concerned. Um, we do need to, as adults, start to protect ourselves more and also think about our kids and, and pets and, and wildlife and plants around us as well. So, um, yes, you, 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 you do point something out um, very key. Thank you, Sue. And I want to continue. I want to go to Andrew. He's in South Lake, Texas on KLIF. Big shout out to everybody listening on KLIF and their sister station, WBAP. Uh, Andrew, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Um, I'm actually an air conditioning contractor, and we sell a product for this purpose exactly. 
and I found it to have a, a great effect. It actually breaks down bubble gases by using ultraviolet light against a titanium oxide plate. And it's very effective. It, it converts those bubble gases like um, benzene and other things coming out of your carpets and drapes and floor coverings and just basically down to uh, carbon dioxide. It's very effective. I've had many sensitive customers that have benefited greatly from it. Thank you, Andrew. Christine? Yes, actually, Valera does the same technology um, that you guys are talking about, and it is fantastic. And it is amazing to be able to have these products that keep the air and and also the products that also they make to keep the water clean in your home to um, neutralize all that. And um, yeah, there is, it's these are fantastic products and and actually much needed now for sure. All right, and uh, I guess final word to you, uh, Christine Padavan. What what can people do? What steps can they take in addition to you know getting the the right filtration on their air conditioning? And being, I guess, cognizant of what they, you know, breathe and, and take in. Uh, but what's your, your, I guess, your best uh, advice to people to stay healthy? The best advice uh, I I tell people is is, is to get on glutathione. It, it's a natural supplement. Uh, it's uh, water soluble, like vitamin C. And if they take a and the normal adult dose is 500 milligrams a, a day. If they take that and, um, and some other foods that are high in glutathione, which would be bay leaf water, cilantro, avocado, they actually will keep toxins, and this works for anything, metal, chemical, you name it, it will come out. And keep that from sticking to the body. And it's also antiviral, by the way. It does help with, with viruses, including uh, COVID-19. That was also scientifically proven back in 2020. So that's my best advice for, for everyone. Outstanding. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate your, uh, your insight on the topic. Uh, folks, Christine Padavan, founder of HeavyMetalPoisonCenter.com and Paladina International. Christine Padavan, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. Great. You bet. My pleasure. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to kick off our Open Phone America uh, time-tested tradition here on this program, dating back to Larry King in 1978 and Jim Bohannon for the last 30 years. And who would I be to not continue that tradition? So we're going to do that. Looking forward to your calls on all of the hot topics of today. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES, and... That starts right now. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here with me, Rich Valdez, on America at Night. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. This is was the Tuesday edition of America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and um, I want to welcome you to the show. This is our number three, and we like to call it around here, Open Phone America. You're free to call the show in every hour of the program, but here, everything goes. You can talk about just about anything you like. And I'm happy to have that discussion. 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ, or the legacy line is always open for you. And RFK, Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr., he has announced that he is running for president of the United States. Listen to this. I've come here today to announce my candidacy for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. over the next 18 months of this campaign and over my throughout my presidency will be to end the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is threatening now so that's uh, RFK Jr on launching his presidential campaign and kudos to him happy to hear it uh I'm glad he's doing it. You know, honestly, I'm glad to see there's some competition there, uh, just like you have some competition on the Republican side. And these things are very, very good. I think it's it's the sign of a, a healthy republic where the democratic process is alive and well. Uh, but there are other things that we're, we're not talking about, right? Like I didn't hear RFK mention anything about the fentanyl crisis at the border uh, or even how... Fentanyl is is now um, it's being found in just about everything. I mean, this is a tough situation. Listen to this: nearly eight hundred pounds of fentanyl found in a shipment of green beans at a port in San Diego. I mean, come on, who's expecting to have green beans and uh, fentanyl on the side? 800 pounds of fentanyl were found inside a tractor trailer transporting green beans through the Ote Mesa port in San Diego, California. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, officers stopped a 48-year-old uh, driver at the port on Monday evening. And after conducting a non-intrusive search, as opposed to what? How do you do a non-intrusive search? Look through the window? Hey, how you doing? Anyway, they discovered more than three and a half million fentanyl pills valued at $21 million dollars. And this was hidden amongst the produce on the truck. The search was prompted when officers noticed irregularities with the tractor trailer, prompting them to call in a a narcotic detecting dog who alerted them to the pills inside. The driver, who's yet to be identified, has been taken yet to be identified. You know what that means? He's ratting. This guy's ratting. He's singing like a bird. Otherwise, his name would be there because he's over 18. The driver who's yet to be identified has been taken into custody uh, of ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, for allegations of attempted narcotic smuggling. Again, this is, of course, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas would say there's no um, crisis at the border, right? That's what Mayorkas said. I think he said that yesterday. And uh, 
I think it's, it's fascinating that one would say that when we have a situation like this. But here's a quote. CBP recognizes our officers' exceptional performance and applaud their continued efforts to protect and serve communities, said Rosa. Excellent. This is Rosa Hernandez, right? Uh, she says um, that this is a good thing. And I, I agree with her. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that in the least. But I am saying that when you have the um, Secretary of Homeland Security saying, well, we don't even have a crisis to me, it's amazing. Listen to this. It is my testimony that the border is secure and we are working every day, day and night to increase its security. Yeah, this guy, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the radio, but I presume that I am. He is a pendejo with a capital P, this uh, Mayorkas. He really, really is. Translation for that, look for it on Google. The, the, the situation at the border is out of control and Everybody's seeing it. The fact that he doesn't and he could sit there and lie with a straight face is insulting, um, at least to me. I'm insulted by it. Uh, I would I, I I I you guys know me. If you've listened to the show at least more than once, you know, I could take on anybody. I don't have to yell. I don't have to scream. I'm happy to have a conversation with people that disagree with me. But I got to tell you, Alejandro Mayorkas, this guy is one guy I don't know that I would be able to tolerate because he literally will look you in the face and tell you that, you know, the sky is beneath your feet. No, no, the earth, the earth is flat. I mean, he, he literally, bold face lies right in your face expecting you to believe it. It's a straight insult to your intelligence. Anyway, um, they went on to say that the seizure of these uh, fentanyl pills provides insight and provides insight. That means the guy they caught is ratting and uh, provides insight and displays how our officers work together in collaboration with rats that are driving the trucks, that's my ad lib, to keep uh, the dangerous drugs off the streets. And good, I'm glad they are. I'm not poo-pooing that. I think they, they need more of that to control these problems. They need to catch the other 10 trucks that are getting by, but, you know, as they're catching this one truck. Now, drug smuggling through the border continues to be an issue, although Mayorka says it's not, with 471 fentanyl seizures reported between October and March. Now, CBP has also conducted more than 4,200 meth and 1,200 cocaine seizures during that period. I've got to say, they, they've always talked about the war on drugs and this and that and then the open border and all of this stuff, and I'm, I'm all for it. But at what point are we going to address the fact that, holy crap, I think it seems to me like we have a consumption of drugs problem like no other, like no other country. This is a massive amount of drugs, 4,200 meth busts, 1,200 cocaine seizures. That's just what they're catching. Just imagine what they're not catching, what's not being interdicted at the border. I mean, wow. It's great that we have a good economy, but it do we have to all do drugs? <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm being very serious here. I don't know. Maybe I need to do some research on this and see where the United States ranks in terms of drug consumption. But it seems to me like we lead the pack here. I don't I can't think of another country where they're bringing in as many drugs. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, there are other countries where, you know, who knows? Maybe we're 10 out of the top 10 and we're not leading the pack. But I get the sense that we are. That, to me, that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And whether it's Nancy Reagan's uh, program of just say no or not, we've got to do something. And I don't think that we're doing anything right now to address that problem. We've probably got to, you know, get that under control. But anyway, green beans, fentanyl in the green beans. And 
and there's more to come. I, I'm going to take a quick pause right here, come back to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we're going to go straight to your calls. We've got uh, calls from Michigan, Washington, uh, excuse me, Montana, South Carolina. Man, everybody from all over the place looking forward to speaking with you. Let's go to Jerome, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead, Jerome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, hey, Rich. Uh, my Spanish is not as good as it could be, and maybe in, in the near future it will improve. But I know what a Bendale is, okay? I know what a Bendale is. <laughs> I had friends of mine in the military. I have a friend named Victor. He would teach me certain Spanish words from time to time, you know. I could make him laugh because we were we were like, you know, friends and because he was from San Antonio. And then certain words he would like teach me. So I know what a Bendejo is. But now you said you served with Victor? Yeah, we, we served in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, off of Air Force Base. It was back in like the 70s. I'm not going to. Oh, gonna that's awesome. Thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw my old base on 60 Minutes a couple, about a year or two ago. I didn't recognize it. It was so high tech and so advanced. I said, oh, man, you need almost like a college degree to get into the military now. <laughs> I was lucky. Wow. But I just wanted to say, though, that out of people at Fox Bendejo's, 700 and how many millions, Richard? $787 million. Let me tell you, that is quite a settlement. If I had that kind of money, uh, I'd probably be retired, although I would still talk on the radio because I love this stuff. But, yeah, big uh, a big settlement. I would say the big pendejo there is Rupert Murdoch because um, I think he got himself into this mess with his testimony. But, again, be that as it may, yeah, I, I – I think they would probably make the argument that they did the right thing by going for the settlement with at less than half. Because remember, they were being sued for one point six million dollars, uh, billion dollars, excuse me. So uh, I think th- their their thinking was they got away and they got off cheap, and it's over. And after this week's news, we probably won't hear much about this anymore. Uh, but um, I think they should have taken the same route as Newsmax and some of the others and just stuck to their guns and went for it. But Fox News folded like a cheap suit. Lying. They're losing lives. Look, they're going to be sued by other companies, too. I mean, there are other lawsuits in, 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 the, in, the, in the mix. This isn't over. I mean, they're all on lies. Rod Ingram, um, Hannity. All of them, they all lied. They know they were lying, and they still lied. They, they could have, hey, all they have to do is tell the truth. They could have avoided all of this, but no. No, they wouldn't do that. They were like, they're like Trump's little prostitutes. 
That's what they are. Trump's a <laughs> well, I don't think Trump is a pendejo. I'm a big fan. But uh, thank you, Jerome. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, with respect to that, I think, you know, I had an argument earlier with um, the, the guy who makes my coffee for me, the nice Cuban guy at the Cuban restaurant. And uh, he was saying, this is clearly a loss for Fox News. And I was like, well, yeah, they're out 700 and something, uh, you know, million dollars. But at the same time, I think, they saved some money on this settlement because it could have been worse. And ultimately, uh, from what I read in NBC News, there was no admission of guilt. There's no admission of anything. They just said, hey, look, we want to settle. And a lot of times when you have enough money, you say, look, you, you don't want to throw good money after bad. So you settle whether you're guilty or innocent or otherwise. You just you, you want to get this thing over with so you can move on. Now, with respect to the um, the people you mentioned, all I know is I've seen the text messages. I've seen this and I've seen that. Opinion hosts oftentimes have opinions that are not always uh, popular with everybody. And I think this is one of those situations where we're seeing some people sharing opinions with their guests and then others that have a different opinion based on the news that they're reporting. And I think if anything, it shows a good balance. Uh, but I can tell you this about me. I can't vouch for any of those people. I can vouch for me and tell you, Whatever I talk about on the radio is what I'm talking about to my friends, is what I talk about behind the scenes. Um, I call it like it is. And I do that for that express purpose so that I can never be embarrassed by somebody saying, that's not what you said over here. Um, maybe you misunderstood what I said, but I, I try to keep it as real as I can. Thanks again, Jerome. I appreciate it. Let us continue. Let's go to Randy Hamburg, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, I just have two movies that I that I uh, I like. Uh, Big Jim McClain and I Was a Communist for the FBI. And these are 1950 black and white movies. But if you watch them, how they're uh, going after professors in school and, and the professors are going after the kids. Um, and also... Uh, uh, a lot of foreshadowing yeah. there. The, what's that? Seems like there's a lot of foreshadowing in those films. Well, there. If you watch them, you can sit and watch Big Jim McClain with your kids. It's got James Arness and John Wayne in. Uh, you know, and, and uh, who doesn't uh, love I John Wayne, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, and another thought I had was uh, Biden. He just got done saying how uh, he wants to bring jobs back to these poor Americans from overseas. And didn't he vote for NAFTA <laughs> right. in the 90s when it was when it was the the uh, Democratic president was Clinton and Cl uh, Democratic Senate and Congress at the same time? And they gave us NAFTA and our jobs went overseas, went over, went north and south. Yeah. Not to mention uh, President then President Clinton's huge, huge lobbying for uh, China to be admitted into the World Trade Organization. But for that lobbying, China might still be on the outside and never have experienced the level of economic growth that they did to date. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, Randy, thanks for the call. I appreciate you calling in from Hamburg, Pennsylvania, W.E.E.U. Let us uh, continue here. Let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. Frank, what's up, my man? How are you? Oh, pretty good. I uh, wanted to tell you about my trip over to Washington, D.C. Uh, what would you was, go there for? I guess it's, Visiting uh, the swamp? 
No, it was the first time I've ever been to America. I mean, I live in a third world <laughs> nation called Montana. <laughs> but you and the bison. Anyway, that too. I loved it over there. The, the, the it was good music, good food. The food I've never even. Uh, Did you go before. last week? Yeah. And it's the, the best time nice ever to go to Washington D.C. when the cherry blossoms are in bloom. This is the time to yes, go. Indeed. It's beautiful down everybody there. Everybody was happy. Everybody was, I get out sun worshiping, and everybody was looking out for each other. I didn't have any, uh, I had, there was no friction everywhere. Everyone was kind of helping each other, and it was, just, it was a beautiful. Experience. Were they singing Kumbaya and holding hands? Well, but they were doing Latin beats and other things like that, but it was, a, it was good. It was, <laughs> it was very fun. Well, Latin beats are even better than Kumbaya. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to go to Indiana. We're going to go to Michigan and everywhere else where we're uh, having calls uh, that are coming in. And uh, I want to get to a story when we come back about electric vehicles because Mayor Eric Adams uh, in New York, he says that this big building collapse that they had, which was a parking garage, a parking structure that collapsed, uh, it's now being reported that the electric vehicles that were in the garage are a lot heavier than their combustion engine counterparts and that this might be a part of the reason that this thing came down. So we will see exactly um, you know, how that pans out. Plus, there's uh, another story on the rapper, uh, Drake. Uh, and apparently the, his lawyers had a, a song taken down that was created with AI, artificial intelligence. It was a fake Drake song, a deep fake. And uh, fascinating that they've created these things and there's lawsuits. And one more thing in the entertainment world, Redbox. Remember them? They were competing with Blockbuster Video and Netflix. Well, there's an update on that as well. We're going to get to that. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is Open Phone America, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. I'm looking forward to it. I'm Rich Valdez, and I'm coming right back. America, welcome back. Lots of opinions out there. I guess we've struck a liberal nerve with our liberal friends across America. Let's check in with David in San Francisco, uh, calling in on WGKA in Atlanta tonight. David, go right ahead. Oh, thanks, Rich. Uh, yeah, it's yes, funny. Uh, I, I tuned in a little late. Uh, has anybody uh, mentioned the internally decapitated time traveler? No. Tell us more about it. Well, uh, Sidney Powell, uh, Trump's lawyer, was finally asked uh, shortly after Election Day 2020, what was her source 
for uh, the uh, Dominion voting machines uh, uh, corruption. You know, she was claiming that Dominion voting machines were corrupt and, you know, controlled by light switches and all. Yeah, I remember she did it so much that um, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis had to make a formal announcement saying that she no longer represented the Trump campaign or Trump himself because uh, because the controversy became so outlandish. Right. And so she was finally asked, what was her source? Uh, for all of this, uh, the illusions that uh, the machines had uh, been so corrupted. And she said it was an internally decapitated time traveler. And then she went on to say that they were dead. So it was an internally decapitated. Now, if you remember, decapitated means your head's cut off, right? Yeah. But internally internally decapitated, uh, I, I don't... I'm, I haven't trouble enough figuring out how a ghost can have an internal decapitation, but it was a time traveling ghost that told her that Trump really won. Well, it's the ghost in the machine. Go ahead. And for, for over two years, America has this civil war going uh, that Trump really won and that Biden is uh, X and Y and Z and it was all because this crazy lawyer was talking to an internally decapitated time-traveling ghost. Well, you know, David, it's not only because of the lawyer and the time-traveling ghost. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of things here that get conflated, right? So you have Trump himself that's out there saying everything's rigged, which I'm going to agree with. Uh, I'm not talking about machines per se. I think there is a rigged system um, that we saw and most evident, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, uh, but I'll mention it again briefly, uh, the the legal case in Pennsylvania with respect to Act 77, where it was determined that the legislature was the only body that could change any election law, including the idea that we should send everyone in the state a mail-in ballot. That decision was made by the Secretary of State unilaterally, and in contravention of the state's constitution and the federal constitution. And again, when one makes this argument, uh, it, I think it's fair to say that this was rigged, right? Because um, this was not the way it was supposed to be. And this is something they're working on correcting now and, and never doing again because they've realized, yeah, we've, you know, we've realized the error of our ways. So, I mean, and that's one example of, of several where there were inconsistencies. Wisconsin was another uh, jurisdiction where we saw problems with that, not just with machines, but with the actual process of voting. So I think uh, th- there is plenty to to discuss when it comes to elections that are rigged uh, with respect to machines, the Dominion and whatnot. That's something I can't really talk about. I, I watched the um, the documentary that Mike Lindell uh, produced and I can tell you that um, it was a it was a lot. There was a lot there, and uh, perhaps I didn't grasp all of the dots being connected. Uh, but it it didn't seem like uh, enough for me to think there was a smoking gun. Uh, but <clears throat> what do I know, right? Anyway, thanks, David. I appreciate it. Speaking of Mike Lindell, good man, a friend of mine. I like to say Mike is a friend. <clears throat> And I love his, I sleep with two my pillows, by the way. 
and he's not an advertiser on this program. I just happen to love it. And I use the sheets, the Giza sheets, fantastic. Uh, let's go to Ron in Council Bluffs, Iowa, KMA and Shenandoah. Um, Ron, go right ahead. Yeah, uh, Rich, I, uh, I wanted to make a couple of comments. I think I'll turn it around from when I talk to your um, go right ahead. Your, uh, Galler guy. Anyway, uh, I had heard on your advertising too that there was they were talking about opioids and death. I had lost my wife uh, back in 2020, Sorry and one of that. the insidious things that actually happened is you don't have to have an overdose. It affects the involuntary part of your brain hmm. that tells you to breathe when you're sleeping. And you breathe anywhere from 17 to 20 times a minute. And the what it does is it shuts down the involuntary part of your brain. You quit breathing. And we'd have to hold my wife's hand uh, between my daughter and I most of the night. And she'd quit breathing. We'd say, honey, wake up. Come on. Start breathing. Breathe. And, of course, a lot of them, you know, they take their medicine. They go to bed. And I, they quit breathing. And they go in there and they're dead. I'm really sorry to hear that. And, you know, just to share with you, just a point of um, of uh, reflection. My mom had a uh, lung disorder, and uh, with that came a very serious cough. And there was a cough medicine that they would prescribe her that had codeine in it, and it would affect her so so much so that it was it became difficult for her to breathe while she was sleeping because of what you're talking about. So I understand that, and um, very very challenging, Ron. Yeah, and not only that, but it it is also designed, and there's medicines within the uh, opioid to uh, kick in the endorphins. So it, it not only tries to kill the pain, but it does a lot of other bad things, but it soups you up a little, makes you feel good. So that's yeah. why everybody's after it, because it does that. And uh, I heard you talking about, I'm going to change subjects uh, just for maybe a half a minute, okay? Go ahead, quickly. Your old buddy, Mike Lindell, I heard they're already suing because he is still talking about playing with those Dominion voting machines. And if I was an attorney, I'd say, Mike, shut up. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, Mike is is a good man. I believe he's a patriot. He's an excellent pillow manufacturer. And when it comes to uh, elections, I've watched the information they put together. It was very uh, interesting. Uh, For me, it just um, I I didn't get to the same conclusion they got to. Uh, But it doesn't mean that I I don't believe that there was, you know, trickery, malfeasance, uh, any type of fraud. I think there was plenty of it in many different ways. Uh, But with uh, respect to his particular film, uh, a lot of information uh, a lot of people that were experts, um, a couple of military guys, I, I, I saw a lot. And it, it was a lot of information, but I, I just, for me, maybe it was just too much information at once for me to really digest it all. Uh, but to me, this is um, why we have to be judicious, right? Very judicious in what we do. Uh, I believe Mike did what he felt was right. This guy spent, I think, 4 or $5 million producing that documentary and gathering this information, and he probably has a better idea of what he's talking about than I do. Uh, but I remember watching it and thinking, man, that's like a lot of information, and uh, I just don't I don't see all of that um, with with respect to what's going on. That Does that mean that there weren't mechanical failures? We saw plenty of mechanical failures with these machines, uh, and we saw them again just recently in the Arizona election. So 
um, to, to make the argument that there's not a problem with machines, I think is a futile one because I think there's plenty of evidence that there is. I think the bigger argument becomes, is there enough problems with the machines or are there enough problems with the machines to change the outcome of an election? And that I think is where is the sore uh, subject of debate. And I would say in, in some situations there probably is, and in others there may not be. Uh, but we only get there if we look. And I think a big part of the problem is just writing this off and saying, ah, oh, we're not interested. It's not the thing. And and in, in, in large part, that's probably true. But we shouldn't be so dismissive because I think ultimately these cases are brought and they're dismissed and then they're brought and then people take a serious look at them and they go, you know what? You actually have a point here. So that's where I land on that one. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. Um, let's see. Do we continue here? No, we take a quick pause here and then we come back. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I do want to point out that, thank God, we had uh, the uh, robotic dog that was able to go in the building. This is ideally what we talk about, uh, not sending a human being inside a building that's unstable. Uh, We were also able to use the technology of a drone uh, to give a real visualization of what is happening in this building. At this time, this building is completely unstable, and uh, the chief, uh, we do not want to send in someone until we can make sure the building is shored up. But using uh, the necessary technology, we're able to get a clear view of what's happening inside the building for the most part. All right, so that's New York City Mayor Eric Adams talking about the collapse of a parking garage in New York City. And there's a lot of discussion now because people are saying electric vehicles may be too heavy for old parking garages with electrical uh, electric vehicles, EVs, weighing more than similarly sized internal combustion engine vehicles. Imagine if you're making an acronym out of that. (laughs) The collapse of the parking garage in New York City on Tuesday that killed at least one person, the manager of the garage, has put a new spotlight on aging structures for this uh, type of vehicle storage. Five-level building, which has several active violations listed in the city, uh, dates back to 1925 and was first licensed as a garage in 1957. Now, the exact cause of the structure's failure hasn't been determined, but there's a lot of question around it, and it's licensed to accommodate 276 vehicles. Images from the scene indicate that at least a dozen SUVs were parked on just the top floor. And, yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it. It looks like all there was was SUVs on the top floor there and on the floor beneath it. I mean, it's uh, horrible to see what's going on here. The incident occurred after a recent study raised concerns that many older parking garages may need to be reevaluated due to the increasing average weight of vehicles, particularly electric vehicles. The report from the British Parking Association noted that some EVs weigh more than double what popular models in the same segments did back in the 1960s, due in part to their heavy battery packs. 
This often applies to uh, contemporary cars. For instance, the Tesla Model S weighs over a thousand pounds more than a gas-powered Mercedes E-Class. I never would have guessed that. I never would have guessed that. While a 9,000-pound Hummer EV is 2,400 pounds heavier than the Hummer H2. Wow. Look at that. That's interesting. That's fascinating to me. I had no idea. Anyway, um, so uh, there's a quote from Chris Wapples in The Telegraph, and he says, I don't want to be too alarmist. Well, I guess he's British. I don't want to be too alarmist, but there's definitely the potential for some of the early car parks in poor condition to actually collapse. That sounded more like the Geico guy, right? Yeah, I, anyway, I got to work on my British. But that's what's going on. Are electric vehicles heavier than regular cars, and if they're heavier than the gas combustion cars, are they going to be bringing down parking structures all over the place? We'll see how that goes. But to the phones we go to take your calls and opinions on everything going on in America at night, let us uh, continue our conversation here with uh, Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. Go right ahead, Bill. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yes, sir. Today is Patriots Day uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, Woo! Big uh, race the other day, but uh, I wanted to remember two people: uh, Paul Revere, of course, the more famous one, and William Dawes, who's sort of stealthy but uh, uh, mostly forgotten in history. Uh, you know, it all started at the Old North Church went to Lexington and Concord, and uh, Longfellow wrote about it. Uh, but Revere was an easy name to uh, uh, rhyme with, so that's why he used it. He forgot the other guy. Ralph Waldo mm-hmm. Emerson talked about Concord, and I remember his uh, poem, By the Rude Bridge, uh, that I, I think I recited one time in high school. Uh, so anyway, that's that's my thought for the day. It's a National Historic Park. I visited there when I was in the Air Force, and it's along the route. And the statues in uh, uh, Concord is is especially nice. The uh, uh, famous uh, sculptor. Anyway, what do you think of that as being a, a patriot? We need patriots. Today, I Listen, think. Bill, I always look forward to your calls because there's always historical analysis and and nuggets of wisdom that I wasn't aware of that you always bring to the table. So you're, you're a gentleman, a scholar, a patriot and a historian, in my opinion. Thank you, Bill, for the call. Big shout out to everybody listening on KTTR, by the way. And uh, let us continue uh, right after this break. This is America night with rich valdez no hair no care and live on the air it's rich valdez all right, let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. When laws are selectively enforced based on one's ideological affiliation, then they become nothing more than tools 
bludgeons to quell political dissent. Case in point, if Fox is going to get sued uh, for pointing out algorithms in Dominion voting machines, then why aren't the liberal president agencies being similarly sued for misquoting Trump? Give you an example. Remember the Unite the Right uh, white supremacy oh, yeah. in Charlottesville? Okay, mm-hmm. remember how the liberal press, because I listened to them, consistently would quote Trump as saying on Good the people issue, on both sides. And it was about the Confederate flag, his original quote, but they took it completely out of context. Another and I'm glad you remember that, um, you know, and uh, another thing, remember when uh, it was said in liberal press that a couple had injected themselves with bleach and they were following Trump's advice that he had told uh, yeah. people they could inject. Take phony yeah. fraud. And he was saying you could use other measures to prevent COVID, such as sterilizing equipment with bleach and UV rays. Right. No, okay. And, and uh, quite frankly, there, there was a whole intravenous uh, type of detergent that was being studied at the University of Florida. It was a real thing. And that's what he was alluding to. And they, they, they decided to make uh, you know light of it and ridicule him. But it was actually the cutting edge technology. I don't know if it, where, it's, where it's at today. But, yeah, totally. I, I get what you're saying. And this is what happens when you're Trump. They they take whatever shot they can take at you in order to do what they've got to do. Thank you, Sarah, for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in WBIW land. Let's go to Linda, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead quickly. Oh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I didn't realize these vehicles are heavier. Um, I'm thinking we're going to wind up then with a lot more potholes in the spring with the vehicles uh, causing this. Oh, sure. And if if parking structures are going to collapse because we've got too many um, SUVs or too many electric vehicles that are adding too much stress to these older structures, what about older bridges? What about, uh, you know, older highways and, and overpasses and viaducts and all of these structures that we've created that have to withstand, you know, all these cars on them? that I guess were, weren't estimated to be 2,400 pounds heavier than their, you know, gas combustion counterpart in some cases. That, to me, was a very, very telling number. And I think it's a, it's an excellent point you bring up. We're not only going to have more potholes, but we're going to have a lot more damage to our infrastructure. And what is the cost on our infrastructure? And who's going to pay for that? I guess more taxpayer-funded liabilities if we stick with that. Um, anyway, thank you, Linda, in... Uh, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Uh, My pleasure speaking with you. That concludes Open Phone America and our show for tonight. I am Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, um, do what you got to do. Listen to this station, and we'll do this all again tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.